God is good, isn't he? The Bible has an interesting statement that I like to keep coming back to. It says, the Lord keeps adding to the church daily. That's in the Bible. Did you know that? That was way back then. Still working today in our world. And uh, just to make that point, we have uh, two new members that we've just approved as members in our church. These are people been around a long time. They finally took this step. Jason and Mandy Stein. Would you folks stand? Yeah. Jason's on the camera. Welcome aboard. Yeah, so we're glad that they're apart. Uh, tonight, 6 o'clock, annual business meeting here at New Hope. This is for all the members in particular. But if, you're, if you just like coming, you're not a voting member, but you just like our church and you want to know more about it, you're welcome to come back tonight in this room right here. We're going to have pizza before we have our meeting. We're going to hear some reports. And uh, uh, this, is, this is important. Uh, Pastor Adam is going to give a report on the South Auburn location, and we just had a big breakthrough this last week that he's going to tell everybody about that tonight. So you come back tonight and you get the good news. Okay. Everybody ready? Matthew chapter 5, if you brought your Bible, turn there, Matthew 5. This is part four of our study on Sermon on the Mount. It's countercultural. It's not what you think. I mean, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it makes you sit back and say, what did he say? Did he really mean that? How does that work out in our lives? Let's read this. We're going to start in verse 17 of Matthew 5. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the smallest stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven." But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Then you got to hold on to the commands that God's given us. He said, said, I haven't come to abolish the law. Maybe you, like I, were taught that. That Jesus came to abolish the law, to do away with it, so we could be free. We don't have this, this, these rules to follow. We can just do whatever we want to do. That's freedom, right? That's basically what I was taught. Maybe you were taught the same thing, but Jesus says right here very clearly, this is not what his intent was. So we're going to talk about this and unpack this a little bit on how it relates to us. If I can get my machine open up. I was looking at Facebook last week and I saw somebody put a post on there that said, a friend told me to put horse manure on my strawberries, but I'm never doing that again. I'm going back to whipped cream. (laughs) Why, Why is that so funny? Why is that so funny? Because I got you going down this track and all of a sudden I got you going down this one. We're just the opposite of what you were thinking. We know horse manure on the strawberries is what you put in your garden. 
not on your bowl. That's whipped cream. That's why it was so funny to us. It's the contrast. We were thinking this, and then we found out it was really about that. This is, a, this is the thing that we have to wake up to as Christians. We need to read the Bible. It's full of truth for us. It's, 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 it's full of what God wants us to know about living your life victoriously in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Did you know that? There's sin all around us. There are sinners all around us. Some of it's rampant, trying to influence us, invade us. So right after what we just read, Jesus goes in for the rest of the, the chapter from verses 21 through verses 48. Too long for us to take time to read this morning. He goes through three, or excuse me, six examples of saying, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. In other words, you have been taught this all your life. But I'm saying something entirely different. You're looking at it wrong. You're looking at the horse manure on the strawberries instead of whipped cream. You're looking in the wrong direction. This is what he's saying. So I want to give you seven truths or principles that we pull out of this text here that I think will help us if we'll pay attention. Put our thinking caps on. You have to think. Jesus is not talking to children here when he's teaching this. He's talking to adults that have been indoctrinated into the Jewish system, and he's trying to set them free. Here's the first principle we learn. Freedom doesn't come by shaking free from God's law, but by embracing it. Don't think you can shake free from God's law and be victorious. You can't. His laws are teaching us how to live our life victoriously in a fallen world. And you can't do what everybody else is doing and expect to be blessed by God. It's just a different way of doing things. Verse 17, he said, don't think I've come to abolish the law. No, but to fulfill the law. This is God's advice for us. He wants us to know how to live our lives and not keep messing up. You need to get back into his word. For example, with Adam and Eve. We remember that story really well. He put them in the Garden of Eden, perfect environment, all kinds of fruit trees, and he gives them freedom to eat of any fruit of any tree they want to, except this one tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The day you eat that fruit, you're going to die. God didn't say, the day you eat that fruit, I'm going to kill you. He said, death will be the result. If you do it, I don't want you to die. Please listen to me. Don't eat. You got plenty to eat. You don't have to eat that. And Adam and Eve went ahead and did it. They thought God was trying to keep something from them. You know what I'm talking about. We've all crossed the line somewhere along the line because we thought God was trying to keep something from us. Gets us in trouble. Freedom doesn't come by shaking free from the law, but by embracing the law giving it value, allowing God to speak to us through the law. Here's the second principle. We become great in the kingdom of God by practicing and teaching God's truth. Practicing, which means doing it, living it out, and teaching it, which is passing it on to someone else. You don't have to teach in a classroom. You can teach over a cup of coffee at a restaurant. You can teach the truth. Teach someone how to make wise decisions That's right. just by talking to them. 
verses 21, 27, 31, 33, 38, and 43, he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you're not looking deep enough. You're just looking, you've been following the shallow teaching, but there's a much deeper teaching that you're not paying attention to. Verse 19, he says, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We all want to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We all want to be called great down here. We want people to value us, to look at us, to appreciate us, to look up to us. We all want that. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says something very similar. He says, Christ has set us free. This means we are really free. Now hold on to your freedom and don't ever become slaves of the law again. We don't become slaves of the law. However, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 says, Act as free people and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond servants of God. There's a difference between being a slave and a bond servant. A slave has to. He doesn't want to, but he must. He doesn't have any freedom to get away from that. He's got to do what he's told. But a bondservant is looking for words of instruction. He's looking to please the master. He wants to do what he's told to do. So he wants to know, what are you telling me? He's looking for that advice. This is the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian. A non-Christian doesn't want to be bound up. We want to be free. We want to do what we want to do. But a Christian knows that the only way to have the favor of God is to do what he wants us to do. So we spend the rest of our life studying the Word of God to try to find some truth from Him so we know how to live our lives. How do I deal with that knothead at work? How do I deal with him? The Bible tells us we just have to flesh it out. We just have to find it. If we ask Him, He'll show us. The Word of God has an answer for absolutely any problem we have. We just don't think He's going to speak to us. So we don't look for the truth. We have to seek Him out. Seek and ye shall find, Jesus said. This is good stuff. I'm preaching to myself this morning. The world teaches rules and laws, do's and don'ts. But Jesus teaches the heart of the matter. There's another word for the heart. It's the spirit. He teaches the spirit of the matter. What is God, what was God thinking when he made that rule? Example, verses 27 and 28, which we didn't read, says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. How many have heard that? You shall not commit adultery. Jesus says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa. Is there anybody in this room guilt-free? Sin nature is ingrained within us to cross the line and go the way we want to go instead of the way God wants us to go. That's the way we're wired. We were born in this sin nature. Every man in this room has looked at another woman with lust in his heart. 
If the truth were to be told, more than half of the women in here have done the same thing. We always want, the grass is always greener on the other side. We always think if I could, if I could just do it over again, if I could just pick another spouse. But God doesn't want you to have another spouse. He wants you to work out the relationship you currently have. Not trash the one you got and start over again. I'll guarantee you, you trash that one too. Because the problem's not them, the problem is you. Okay, so we're all guilty. Number four, here's the fourth principle we must reevaluate everything we've been taught. Jesus says six times here, He says, You've heard it said, you've heard it been taught. But I'm giving you a whole new perspective on this. When I first became a Christian, I, learned, I realized that I had to reevaluate everything I was taught in my Christian upbringing. I had to, not that it was wrong, I had to reevaluate it because it might be wrong. I wanted to know what God's perspective was. I was a new Christian back in. I think it was 1972, maybe 73, and a, a, a movie came out called Jesus Christ Superstar. And the church began talking about it. Don't go see that. Don't see that one. That's a bad movie. They, they don't even raise Jesus from the dead. Don't see it. Bad film. But don't tell me not to go see something. I want to see it. I want to find out why is it so bad. It's about Jesus Christ. I'm all about Jesus Christ. I want to know what's so bad about this. So I took my girlfriend, which was Anita, and we went to a theater down in Fort Wayne that was showing Jesus Christ Superstar. And there was some good, mu good music in it for the day. And I was, uh, I was touched in a different way than anyone would have thought. When the, when the movie was over, Anita and I walked out. It was a solemn, very solemn, because they left. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying. And all the actors, this is, a, this is the hippie version of the gospel. All the, all the actors, the Romans, the, the Jews, the disciples, they all went out and got on a bus. And the bus rolled off into the sunset And Jesus was all alone, the only one on the set, hanging on the cross, dying. And Anita and I walked out to that parking lot. We sat in the car, and I sat there, and I bawled like a baby. God had never touched me that deeply emotionally. I'm not an emotional person, but I just wept at the reality that when Jesus died, he died all alone. There was nobody there to support him. His disciples ran off and hid. He was all alone, dying for me, paying the price for my sin. And I was a little ashamed because that's my girlfriend. I'm trying to impress her, and here I am crying like a woman because God had touched me so deeply in that. And I, and I learned, if my church didn't teach me how much of an impact Jesus' death on the cross was, I wonder what else it didn't teach me soon found they didn't teach me about the Holy Spirit, and that's a reality. And a whole lot of other things they didn't teach me became a reality. I had to learn it on my own. So we have to reevaluate everything we've been taught from a new perspective, always based on the Word of God. Yes. What does God's Word say? Amen. 
So I want to encourage you, revisit every doctrine that you thought was a big thing. Revisit it. Here, here's, here's the test. Here's how to know if what your belief system lines up with the Word of God or is it just lined up to something you've been taught. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Amen. Yes. That's the litmus test. If you can only find this truth in one scripture, probably you can't build a belief system on that. But you find it in two or three places. You find it in the Gospels. You find it in the Epistles. You find it in the book of Acts. Then you know you can, you can take that to the bank. If Jesus taught it in the Gospels, if one of the apostles taught it in the epistles, and if the early church practiced it, if you can find three locations, now you know you can build a doctrine on that. But if you only find it in one, you better reevaluate that. Is it, is it such a big deal if the Bible for, it pretty much ignores it? Okay? You reevaluate everything we've been taught. Here's, here's number five. Some church leaders are modern-day Pharisees. Come on. The problem that Jesus had was there were a bunch of Pharisees that were trying to put together rules, a list of rules, do's and don'ts for people. And if everybody did the do's and don'ts, they were okay. And if you didn't do the do's and don'ts, you were in bad shape. You were ostracized. You were excommunicated. You were kicked out. You had to do this list of do's and don'ts, and the list of do's and don'ts had evolved over hundreds of years. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he's trying to take them back to the heart of the matter, trying to take them back to the spirit of the matter, to what was God's intent in the beginning. We live in a world where our culture, our entire culture, is moving away from tradition. Anything that's been taught, anything that's been practiced, anything that's been in the past, we want to wash it away, wash it down the drain. It's a whole new world. It's a whole new beginning. That's the philosophy of the world we live in. But there are some things that don't devolve. There are some things that don't weaken. Some things that hold on to their truth, and that's the Word of God. Yes. It still works, church. Yes. It still works, and we have to embrace that. So we have to ask the question, does God determine what the church believes and practices? Or does the culture around us in the fallen world, does the culture around us determine what we'll believe and what we practice? Amen. Right. Long as I'm around, which is probably short term at this point in my life, long as I'm around, we're going to be holding to the truth of God's word. Yes. God wants to prosper us in a fallen world. Come on. We do it the world's way, we're fallen. Come on. God wants to prosper us. You have to go against the flow. Yes. You have to do things differently to have God's blessing in our life. Okay, here's number six. I got seven of these. This is number six. I'm doing okay. Obeying God's rules never changes hearts. People don't change hearts because they obeyed the rules. People obey the rules because their heart was changed. Yes. So a church that puts too much focus on changing behavior and not on changing hearts is just going to fail. We're not, we're not changing people's hearts. Because God's word is countercultural. It goes against the flow, against the grain. 
Let me give you five lies that the church practices and believes. Here's lie number one. If you're good enough, God will forgive you. That is a lie. It is. Forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, not in my goodness. So you can try to be good all you want. You're still a lost sinner. You're still stumbling, falling on your face. You're not going to be victorious. You have to do this God's way through his forgiveness. In other words, you have to accept what he did on the cross for you. Lie number two. If you give more, God will prosper you. That is a lie. The principle is, if you recognize God at work in your life and you give 10% of your income, that's called the tithe, give 10% of your income into the ministry of the word of God, God will prosper you. Not if you give 20% or 30% or 50% of your income. Boy, that guy's got to be really good. 50%. That's not, that's not how we get prospered. It's when we're faithful. Faithful. Over long term. Here's lie number three. If you read more Bible, you'll understand it better. <laughs> the more I understand the more questions I have. Yeah. That's, right. That's a lie. doesn't understand that way. The Holy Spirit leads us to truth. Yeah. The Holy Spirit reveals truth, the Bible says. It's not my reading it more. The more I read the Bible, I put my logic into gear. I put everything I've been pre-trained ever since I was in kindergarten. Before that, when mom was teaching me, I put all the stuff I've been taught. That's the filter all the truth goes to. Where am I at? Number four. If you go to church more, you'll get more spiritual. Some of the biggest hypocrites in the world go to church every Sunday. If you listen more when you go to church, that might help you. And here's the fifth lie. Bad people like me don't get into heaven. That's a lie. Heaven is filled with bad people just like you that got saved by grace. Saved by the grace of God. It's people with changed hearts that follow the rules. We should be wanting to know what are the rules, God? Show me what the rules are. Here's number seven. The purpose of the law was to show us that it's impossible to live out the law. The whole purpose of the law is to show us that we don't have the ability to measure up to the law. We can't complete the law because God requires perfection, 100%. Mess up one time, you broke the law. You're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. It doesn't say the wages of bad sins are death. Wages of all sin is death. The whole principle is we're all doomed. We don't have a chance. We're all hopeless. But God understood that, and so he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into this earth to die on the cross for me, to pay the death penalty for me so I could live. I've got to embrace Jesus. There's no other way. There are no shortcuts. We're all sinners in a depraved world. You know what depraved means? 
We don't have anything. We don't, we don't have anything to offer God. There's, we're, there's no bargaining with God here. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says it like this. The law came so that the full power of sin could be seen. Yet where sin was powerful, God's gift of understanding grace was even more powerful. Where sin abounds, grace is much more abound, King James says. What excites me as a pastor is I look at the world around me. I look out there in this world around me and I see sin, sin, sin. It's got to break God's heart. It's got to make him angry the way people are living their lives and the choices they're making. Got to make him angry. But you know, his grace is greater. And I know that. But the, the deeper people get into sin, the darker it is. And the more they should recognize the light when they see it. So I want to shine the light. I want our church to shine the light. I want our church to be like a lighthouse set on a hill so that everybody around can see it. I want our church to be a living witness to this dark world that there's light in it. So each of us have to take this step, this step into the kingdom, this step into this amazing grace. It's countercultural. It's not what we've been taught. It's not what we naturally think. It's much better than that. It's all about grace. And that messes with our logic. Because grace just isn't something we earn. That's God's love for us. Amazing love. Love for me. Love for you. Love for all of us. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, I just want to pray right now in the name of Jesus that if there's anyone here today that they've been deceived, the enemy has deceived them, and they've thought that they were okay, but today when they've heard the message, they realize they're not okay. They realize they need more. They need to embrace your grace. Let your grace sweep over us. So Father, I'm, I'm praying right now that you would just minister to every person here and bring conviction where it's needed. And Father, bring release in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you recognize that you need this Jesus, you need to embrace this grace, that you can't do it on your own. You've tried to and it's not working. You need to do something different. You want to embrace this grace. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Keep keep them up. I want to know who to pray for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would would everyone, let's make it easy for these people that raise their hands. If everyone participates, repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I'm praying to you. And I admit I'm a sinner. And I'm, I'm a part of the fallen world. And I want to be set free from that. I want to be a bond servant of you. I want to hear what your spirit is saying to me. So I can live my life and please you. 
So today I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I put all my sin on that cross. And I invite your spirit to come into my life. And let me live for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you raised your hand and said that prayer, and if you didn't raise your hand, but you meant the prayer when you said it, you need to know God heard it. God heard it. The church doesn't save you. So it's not that we need to see your hand or make some kind of a step, but God needed to see it. So he used me to prompt you to raise your hand. That was a first step toward God. He's smiling at you. Things are going to begin to happen in your life. Just watch and see. Coincidences will begin to happen. Because the Spirit of God is walking with you. Yes. God is good. Oh. That's the heart of the matter. Yes. It's not the law, do's and don'ts. It's the heart yes. desiring to please Him because He wants to bring us into the kingdom. Amen. Amen.